0: Um, even more niche courses like 13 Week Cash Flow, Venture Capital Course, Real Estate Modeling—you name it. Go ahead and check them out at WallStreetOasis.com/courses. Thanks for the support.
1: Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, the co-founder of Venmo, Andrew Cortina, who just goes by Cortina. I don't think I need to say anything else. A couple weeks ago, I talked about betting on experience in relation to the NFL title games. Experience in Drew Brees and Tom Brady, and not experience like startups with Goff and Mahomes. The decision was split. One incumbent and one upstart are in the Super Bowl. I have a buddy that I bet a small amount on almost all the football games throughout the season with. He came out ahead this year, and we always do a bigger bet for the Super Bowl. Except I have no clue who I think is going to win. The Patriots are favored by a couple points. But I don't think either team is only going to win by a couple points, so the spread doesn't really matter here. The question is do I think experience with Belichick and Brady is going to win out over a brand new team with the youngest coach ever and a bunch of young players? I'm tempted to just go with experience and say that it's just too tough to beat the experience of being in so many Super Bowls, although that theory would have lost last year when the Eagles beat the Patriots. On the other hand, What kind of startup founder would I be if I didn't root for the underdog upstart? I 100% believe that the greatest innovation comes from new companies, Tesla, Uber, Netflix, Amazon. So I guess I have my answer. Plus, I live in Los Angeles. I have to bet on the Rams. Ah, except I just hate going against Brady. It's like going against Bob Iger or Jack Welch, Titans. But eventually, those Titans get toppled. They just make it painful for those that bet against them along the way. Until they finally do succumb and a new company or team or whatever is on top. Then whoever bet against them wins big. Okay, enough about the Super Bowl. Although I am excited for it. I'm going to my parents' house and my mom is making quite a feast. They also just got a pizza oven in their backyard. Man, I should probably go on a run or something. But unfortunately, it's one of those rare rainy days in L.A. Uh, As for the pay club update, we're still heads down, crushing numbers, bringing on lots of new users. We're growing our active users more than 10% every week. We're not going to start raising money again until March, but we're not going to say no to investors that come to us either, which a couple did this week. It's exciting to think about the possibilities, but nothing happens if we don't continue to execute. More users that love the experience and tell their friends making it simple to create groups, add your friends, and see who's paid. Squashing bugs, eliminating fraudsters. It's really endless, the amount of stuff that we can do. Hey, Cortina, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's your phone name is Andrew Cortina. You go by Cortina. Um, People might know you because you founded a kind of popular peer-to-peer payments company. You kind of almost invented peer-to-peer payments, but we'll get into that uh, and what you're working on now, but I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today. Same. So let's let, let's get into the, the early story. You went to University of Pennsylvania. Uh, what were you thinking you were going to do there? Like, what'd you go study?
0: Um, I started out studying computer science, and then uh, after my freshman year, I kind of realized I was just, everything I was learning, I was learning... By doing, and I wasn't really like getting any value out of the classes I was taking. So I kind of just decided to switch and do something that I thought I would like only be able to do in college because uh, I could learn all those sort of software stuff on my own. Uh, so I switched to do um, creative writing and philosophy, studied that for a couple years, and kind of had the explicit goal of doing something that was like completely useless in the corporate world Um, But it actually turned out to be pretty useful. I mean, basically my college uh, education was just like trying to ingest vast amounts of knowledge written by the best people in history, understand it, analyze it, critique it. Um, So I think it actually kind of backfired and set me up pretty well for thinking about lots of other things.
1: That's funny because, I mean, it's not the way that most people go through life. Most people find something they're good at with you you know, developing computer science, and they just go all in. They go all in on on that. Instead, you said, oh, I want to diversify. This is a unique experience, college. I'll go try to get myself more well-rounded. I don't think that's the normal way people go through life.
0: Yeah, I I mean, it it definitely requires like a position of, I don't know, privilege or not caring. Like um, I didn't really care about like getting a job or, you know, making money um, largely because I didn't have like, you know, dependents that were requiring requiring me to make money. Um, and it was like pretty healthy. <laughs> um, so it definitely, you know, I would say not everyone can do it, but...
1: Right, not everyone can do it, but most people are pretty intrinsically motivated, I mean, because society's programmed them that way, but to go make money for, for just, like, the purpose of making money. How come you didn't
0: have that? Um... I It just seemed not that interesting. Like, um... I think... I don't know. I just never was that interested in it. Like, money is an interesting abstraction, but it it was never something that, like, I um, found myself, like, getting the most enjoyment out of growing up. Like, the stuff I liked doing was just being creative and doing things and not... It it wasn't really related to buying things.
1: Sure. Okay. So, you go through school, you're taking these creative writing and philosophy classes, which you, you said provided some value for you later in life. Uh, what's next?
0: Um, well, I remember like when I, when I graduated from college, it was like my graduation and my mom was there and she was kind of asking me the same question. She was like, so like, you know, you're graduating today. Like, what are you going to do once you're out of school? Like, are you going to get a job or what's the plan? And I just remember saying like, Oh, I still have like two more weeks in the, dorm room and I can stay here after graduation so I haven't really thought about it yet um I'll figure it out in those two weeks um and then I kind of got a bunch of uh part-time jobs and did a bunch of like kind of door-to-door selling of websites to like random little small businesses like restaurants and barbershops and that sort of thing to try to scrape by um i think my part-time job i was making like 15 bucks an hour and i had a like a cheap apartment that was like it was one room i was splitting with a friend we had like two mattresses on the floor in this and it was basically the only thing that fit there and it was i think 425 dollars a month that we split so i didn't need like a ton of money to sustain myself and um yeah and i like fortunately didn't have like an insane amount of debt to pay off. Was this always who you were? I mean, to get into University
1: of Pennsylvania, you had to be like obviously smart and driven, get good test scores. I mean, it's a competitive school. And then you come out, and it sounds like you just you're like kind of just going with the flow. Was it? Was it? Was it, was that always who you were?
0: Um, no. I mean, I think I uh, like before college, I was just like good at playing the game of you know. Be like, well, I don't know, upper middle class. Well, I guess I wasn't. I wouldn't say it was upper middle class, but like, playing the game that like people play to get into a good college and following the rules and like getting good test scores and doing all that stuff. Um, but it just got kind of boring after a while, uh, and like, it, it just wasn't stuff I was that interested in. So, in college, I was just and, and, and I, I would always kind of, like, be interested in my own thing, but um, I guess the just the idea of, like, continuing to do that for a really long time and, like, doing that in college and, like, doing all the stuff you're supposed to do in college and, like, you know, I, I was more in college. I kind of just decided I was going to study the stuff that I found interesting not the stuff that was, like, valuable for the sake of some external norms um does it it just became like too routine and unfulfilling to just do this stuff for like the stuff that you would have to do to like get the good internship and get the good job after school i just wasn't that interested in that stuff
1: yeah i mean you really found yourself in college
0: it's 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 rare people
1: just go to college and just kind of further what society tells them to do you were like fuck that i'm gonna
0: do what i want to do and and this is it well then even after college that you know, people just, there's like a a certain track that people follow and it's like, it's a good, uh, track to follow if you want to, if your goal is to like make money and raise a family. Right. Okay. So it wasn't
1: your path. You're on this path of going door to door, designing websites for
0: restaurants, stuff like that. Um, what's next? Um, I was always working with a, one of my friends, uh, trying to like, you know, do some sort of like startup idea. We had, we we made this website that was kind of like a social network for bands to sell music, kind of like Bandcamp, but way way back. Um, didn't really get that to the point where it was successful. And then we kind of decided like maybe we should go work as a startup for a little while before we um, try to build one ourselves. So. My buddy and I both got jobs at this startup in New York called I'm In Like With You. It was like a flirting website. Uh, learned a bunch of stuff there. Then kind of after that, just did a bunch of like various like uh, like contract software work for different people. Um, spent some time, yeah, doing that for a while. Um, and then, a co- I don't know, a couple years later after doing that in new york um my friend who uh i had I had met in college and was kind of doing a little startup stuff with and then he had gone to work at like another company for a while he just sent me a message one day and was like yeah i think i'm like ready to leave i was like cool let's like work on something together i'm 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 like ready when you are uh so we just worked on lots of different ideas and eventually came up uh with the idea of solving this problem that we had of like making it easier to send each other money, Um, it felt like something that, you know, it was kind of shocking that we weren't using PayPal to do this, and we were still, like, using checks and cash to settle up with each other, Um, and after, like, trying lots of different ideas that we thought would be a cool uh, thing to work on, we just decided, let's just solve this problem that we actually have, Um, and that's what kind of became Venmo. Right,
1: so this is your your freshman year roommate, right? Yeah. How fortuitous. So you guys meet freshman year... You are friends all through college. You go off and do some different things, kind of startup-y things, and then he gives you a call one day, and he's like, let's meet up. Let's start talking about startups. How many
0: ideas did you guys throw out? Like, how long
1: did this process take?
0: It was a lot, and we kind of, you know, we kept our day jobs and just worked on stuff on, like, and weekends and tried, uh, like, one thing that we built was, uh, um, we built this, it was, like, a, we're trying to build, it was kind of along the same lines as the other thing I told you about, but this was like a way to text uh, money to bands to support them, kind of like kind of like Patreon, but through texting and music-focused. Um, we also built one of our, this was before Square, and one of our friends had a um, a yogurt shop, like a frozen yogurt place, and she needed a point of sale, so we kind of built a custom point of sale that, worked from a web browser for her and we're like, oh, maybe we could like turn this into a business. Um, but it seemed like all the door-to-door sales to restaurants we had done uh, for websites kind of left us not that enthusiastic about doing the same thing for point-of-sale software. Um, so there were a couple different things that we talked about doing before Femo and like had prototypes of. Sure.
1: So so then I read in, in your blog post that, you know, Ekram- came to Philly, he forgot his wallet, you guys went and did all these things, he owed you a bunch of money, he wrote you a check, like, you're like, why can't we just, why is this so difficult?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it, theoretically, it should. It was like, we could have used PayPal, but, um, yeah, I guess the, the sort of idea was like, if anyone would use PayPal, it would be like the two of us, because we were kind of using a lot of software to run the rest of our lives, um, and so if we weren't using it, probably nobody was using it for you know, settling up with their friends. And it seemed like a, a good opportunity. Right. Okay. So
1: the original thing was, let's just text money. We make it really, really simple to, to, to pay someone back. Yeah. Don't need to download anything. Don't need to go to a website. Really frictionless. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then, then where did it go from there? Like, how did the the social, piece, the social component come into it? When did the app come, the website, all that?
0: Well, we were just, I mean, we both had Blackberries, and we were just using it constantly to kind of like test it. Um, so we would use it anytime we did anything. And we also were friends so we were hanging out all the time. And so I think, you know, the, our text message inboxes became just this like newsfeed of all the cool stuff that we were doing together, like going to bars or restaurants or, you know, music, that sort of thing. And it just looked like the type of stuff you would talk about with your friends. Uh, and so, we, you know, very early on, as we were prototyping, we we're like, "Oh, we should just make this part of the thing where you're like sharing this, this feed of all the stuff that you're doing uh, and spending money on uh, with your friends." Um, so the social stuff was very early on. Um, and then, yeah, like I think a couple of our friends built like a sort of prototype iOS app really early on. Uh, but er, I think early, like a lot of people were just using it through text, uh, not through, not through the app.
1: Yeah. It's kind of similar to group me. Are you familiar with that?
0: I know group me. I, I was never really using it heavily, but I know they, they started with uh, like
1: text group. Yeah. It was the same thing. It was like a text group thing and you didn't have to download anything. It was really simple. Like that's what I'm so enamored with here is like the fact that it's so simple to use you know you don't have to download something you don't have to go to a website it's just boom text everyone can text
0: yeah i mean it took a while to get set up because like getting somebody's credit card through the cell phone was not the easiest we had to like we had this thing where like it would automate a phone call to them and then they would like punch it in because you can't text the credit card number um you, you don't want that like floating around as a string of text and so we would like we had this flow where you would like kind of like sign up through text message uh and then when it came time to add your credit card we would like automate this call to you through twilio and then you would like punch in your credit card kind of touch tone style um so it was kind of amazing that <laughs> it actually worked at all but a bunch of people signed up that way right and
1: cortina so with my fintech app now I mean, we're moving money around and we have to pay these companies that are essentially banks that have money transmitter licenses. Like how'd you guys, did you have those? How'd you get around that?
0: No, um, not early on. Uh, so originally we were, um, there was always like some kind of loophole that we were getting through and a lot of this regulation have changed, has changed, but you know, for a while, it was because it wasn't goods and services, and it was just, like, peer-to-peer. There were some loopholes there. There was some stuff because we had an office in Philly and not an office in New York that we could get around. And then over time, the, like, various regulations would pop up, and we would have, to, like, find a new angle or, like, change something. And then eventually, we did have to get uh, read some sort of money transmitter license from somebody else. But it was pretty far into it where we actually had to do that
1: right and you know this is one of the main criticisms of, of fintech is you have to work on solving problems that your customers don't care about
0: yeah it sucks i wouldn't do it ever again <laughs>
1: nothing no regulated businesses ever again
0: uh definitely not fintech i mean yeah, the regulation stuff is just a drag just not fun or interesting at all that moves really slowly it's very expensive um yeah not interesting to me all
1: right so how did venmo take off was it like a was it years we're talking about here was it months like how long how long was this
0: no i mean pretty it was it grew pretty steadily from the beginning um it wasn't like you know explosive growth ever but it was good pretty steady exponential growth the whole course of it and then People just learned about it through their friends, and we were good about, like, telling you why it was good for you to get all your friends on it, because it would make all of your lives easier. Um, and so we just had, like, a lot of, like, flows around, like, how to tell your friends about the app and get them on. Um, it just grew kind of steadily at pretty s- similar rate for the entire history of the company.
1: Right. So you had all these, like, organic things so that people could easily add other people. Yeah. Okay, and then and then you sold the company to BrainTree. Yep. Was that was that a good process? Were you were you excited? Were you life changing? Like, what was that?
0: Um, it was really out of uh, necessity, and uh, uh, ultimately, um, we were trying to raise our Series B. Um, there weren't any investors that were interested in financing it because it's like a pretty long, long term play to like profitability. Um, and then we met with braintree and they were trying to do some consumer stuff and we wanted to develop relationships with merchants to start monetizing Venmo um, and it just seemed like a good fit and they had like a lot of capital because they were already like uh, making money um, so it just was like a good partnership and when we did it we were like you know I, by the time we had all the paperwork signed we had already like um, you know run out of cash flow and I think they even like bill who's the CEO like sent a wire before the uh, the papers were signed because we had to make payroll um so it was like it was kind of like just in just in time like, we're, I, I can't imagine any scenario where like other than that where Venmo would have like survived um, and then I think again, similarly with PayPal. PayPal invested a lot of money in um, subsidizing the growth of Venmo. It's only really like relatively recently that Venmo starting to do some things like issuing a, a card um, and being a checkout option with merchants, where they'll start to make money. But it's it's a very expensive uh, business to grow.
1: Right. That's that's fintech in a nutshell. It's expensive. You have to work on stuff. Your customers don't care about takes lots of money. Um, but yeah, I mean, you built something that and sold it for a good amount of money, you know, a life changing amount of money, but that went on to, I mean, be worth billions and billions of dollars and be super, super important in, in a lot of people's lives.
0: Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Um, how big, I mean, I think they're moving like a billion dollars of payments a day now, which is insane. I remember the first time we did a billion, uh, annualized revenue, or not revenue uh, annualized total payment value, and that was a big deal. But now they're doing a billion a day, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of like, like Facebook. Like, they didn't
1: monetize it for a long time. It grew, 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 grew. I mean, growing thirty percent a quarter, and then and then yeah, you figure
0: out. Okay, well, they they'd monetized somewhat early on. I mean, they weren't like profitable, but they had revenue early on. Venmo didn't have like in, through either acquisition, there was no revenue for Venmo. It was just all cost, uh, and it's only like. Really, like, within the past six months, I think, that there's any sort of revenue right.
1: starting going to happen. Okay, so what
0: was next for you after you sold? Um, so it kind of took some time to do a bunch of, like, kind of creative writing stuff and projects. And I don't know, I wasn't really planning on going back to work at all. And then I found out that a really good friend of mine, this guy Sam Lesson, who I had met in New York uh, when I first moved there who ended up being the first investor in Venmo with his dad um, and kind of like inspiring us to like go and work on that full time. He was also, he had just left Facebook um, around the same time that I left Venmo. And when we realized that we were both kind of not doing anything, we thought, well, you know, you don't really get this opportunity that often where uh, you have the opportunity to work on something with a friend, Uh, although... I've had the opportunity twice which is pretty cool um, so we just started talking about like maybe we should uh work on something together um but you know not just for the sake of starting another company we wanted to work on something that we thought would be like pretty important uh potentially pretty important if we got it right um and so we, we talked about like a lot of different ideas I think one of the inspirations was that You know, everybody wants to interact with their computer in this like seamless way like you see in science fiction where you just say what you want or ask a question. The computer understands exactly what you mean and does the right thing. And there are lots of people like who aspire to this vision like Siri or Alexa, that sort of thing. Um, But pure software right now is just so far from being able to do the things that people can do. And we think that it'll be like that for a long time. Like, software can do some great stuff, but you just still need people to do a lot of stuff that you would want help with. Um, And Sam and I had both had, you know, executive assistants in our past roles and knew the value of that. Um, And so we thought, you know, why don't we just make something that's kind of, like, it feels like interacting with this assistant from science fiction, but it's actually powered by people on the back end. And we think there's, like, a lot of people that would be willing to pay for that kind of help uh, in a, in a more incremental way than hiring somebody for 40 hours per week. Um, so that's what we kind of set out to build. It's called Finn. Um, it's been f- like the first, it, 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 there were a lot of questions around it. it like, could you build something like that that worked at all? Would there be people that were willing to pay for it? Um, what do people like want to do with it? Um, so like, it's been very, very challenging to build because there's like a huge, um, human operations component to it. And just getting that, getting like a whole team of of people coordinated and doing high quality work at scale is a very hard problem. Um, but now we're kind of to the point where we have figured out a bunch of stuff. Uh, the service is like very high quality. Like I use it instead of a, a full time executive assistant myself and it's, Way more cost effective um, and just flexible. Um, I kind of think of it like, um, you know, when we started, uh, maybe not when we started Memo, but, like, but like right when I graduated from college, you know, you would still, if you were trying to build like some sort of uh, web service, you would like get uh, racks servers from like somebody like Rackspace and kind of have to, like, set them up yourself manually and, like, manage your own machines. And then Amazon Web Services kind of came onto the market, and people thought, oh, that's cool. Like, maybe you would, like, run some sort of, like, batch offline processing on Amazon Web Services, but, you know, probably you're probably going to still need to run your, like, core customer-facing stuff on your own dedicated hardware. Um and now it's just like it would be crazy to, to like not use Amazon Web Services because it's like it's all variable cost. It doesn't have these like fixed costs and setup costs of like managing your own servers. Um, I think one of the ways that we think about Fin is it it's a similar story. Where like when we started, I mean, well, when we first started, people were like, "Well, how can you like possibly build a service that's as good as like the person that's sitting." Next to me every day. And we were like, no, we can definitely build something better than that. And it took a while to kind of like get to the point where we could like say that was a straight face and people would like believe us. But we're getting to that point now where, you know, we have a team of people and they're using great software that helps them, you know, share all the knowledge that they're learning about the world, about how to do certain tasks and about customers and share that context. kind of instantly access it and so you know a team of a large team of people can just learn much faster and like um learn new things about the world and and ultimately be like better and higher quality than any single human uh can be and so i think we're we're doing that now and like now we're getting to the point where people are like okay like i could see how this is like a good alternative to a person that kind of like does the same types of tasks that I would hire a person to do. And like, I'll, I'll hire Finn, like, you know, um, if I, if I need some extra help or like, if, you know, I need like my first assistant, but ultimately I think what we, what we are building will be like similar to Amazon where it'll just be so much more efficient and higher quality and lower cost than hiring somebody full time yourself um i think that's like it's it's going to take some time for people to like understand why that is and like believe it but just having worked on it for a couple of years now it's pretty clear to us that this is the way like whether it's finn or somebody else this is the way that work is going to get done in the future it's going to be collaborative there's going to be like great tools for knowledge sharing and it's going to be a service because People, you know, businesses and people, like you know, customers, generally prefer variable costs and on-demand, flexible pricing to like fixed costs uh, every month, where they may not use all of the resources that they're paying for.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, I get it. It, it, it makes sense. Uh, you know, AI-powered assistant. It's it's super cool. You're right. It's it's the it's the future. So, what is it about this opportunity that's compelling to you? Is it the opportunity? Is it solving this problem? Is it working with Sam? Is it all
0: of those things? Like, why'd you get into that? I think it's a little bit of all of it. I mean, one, it's just as a customer, the product is awesome because basically you're getting your time back uh, and you don't have to spend your time and attention on the things that are, are not critical for you to spend it on. And so you can sort of delegate any task that's not critical. And that means you get back time to spend on work that's more creative, work that's more important, you also get time back, like, your your own time back outside of work to spend with, like, friends and family or just doing whatever you want to do uh, outside of work. <laughs> um, so, like, the value proposition, I think, is great, um, particularly because, like, so many, so many products right now actually just consume more of your time. It feels really satisfying to be working on something that gives people their time back to spend on, uh, you know, the things that they find important. Um, yeah, and then part of it's exciting to be working with Sam. I mean, he's a really great friend and just a, a guy I really deeply respect. Uh, and then the opportunity is massive. Like if we if we get this right and become the Amazon Web Services for uh, human labor, that's a huge deal. It's like possibly one of the biggest companies you could ever build, uh, which is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, Cortina, I mean, you'll change the way people pay other people and you'll change the way that uh, people have assistance. It's, it's powerful. Yeah. It, cool. it's,
0: yeah. It's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, last question here. It's always around advice. You know, someone like, I'd love to try to distill your philosophy coming out of college down. I mean, it would be great if people could kind of have that comfort level with just that things will work out. In, the, in their lives if they just kind of put themselves in the right place and don't stress so much about things. But that's not practical. People stress and freak out and have a hard time of not making money or doing the right thing. How would you f- feel like you were on the right path? Like, what's your advice on, r- around that?
0: Yeah, I, I'm, like, I, I hesitate to give advice. Uh, I'm skeptical of, like, most advice. Um, the... And I feel like people are always asking me, like, you know, like, how did you learn this? Or like, who's your mentor? And um, I think, I don't know, I just try to always be learning from everything I do. Like, there, I mean, all of the world's knowledge is on the internet if you want to go and find it, right? So, like, that's an immense resource. Um, and I'm like constantly learning from every person I interact with. Like, it could be a colleague, a peer somebody who's a teacher, uh, you know, book I'm reading, somebody who's like our intern class I'm constantly learning from, kids I'm constantly learning from. Um, And I think people kind of crave this like guru or like one person that, you know, is going to like tell them all the advice they need to know to be successful. And it just doesn't like, I think you just tap out any one person's knowledge within six months, and so, like, the idea that there's, like, some person that exists is going to be, like, your mentor forever, I think is, I don't know, it's probably the result of some cultural mores around, like, how we think about, like, getting advice from our parents or something, but I don't know, like, so I would say, like, I don't really have advice other than, like, always be learning from everyone (laughs) uh, and everything. Uh, it, It just seems, like, more scalable and like less of a a pipe dream than like trying to find a single person that has all the answers yeah
1: yeah i agree it's it is good advice uh well cortina this was this was fun talking with you i cool hearing the story and uh just thanks for coming on
0: cool man thanks uh so much for taking the time all right talk to you soon
1: okay thanks for listening today let me know what you think leave us a review on itunes and tell your friends about this podcast thanks